Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for April 15th of 2019. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Welsh from HockeyHits.com. This week we are going to reveal the winners from round one of the top seeds. We picked the opponents. Uh, You, the listeners, voted on Twitter and you picked the winners of the hypothetical round one matchups. We have the winners. We are going to reseed, so top seeds are going to get their chance to pick their round two opponents. Boy, this regular season really mattered a lot. <laughs> so we have eight teams left, so there will be um, three matchups to pick, and of course the fourth one is kind of uh, made for us. And after that, we have some playoff hockey to talk. We have... Um, well, the last time we left you, the Penguins hadn't lost a playoff game yet. Uh, that, um, that has changed. That They still have the same number of wins as the last time we talked. Oh, that's brutal. Um, so not great for them. Not great for our number one seed in um, our playoff rankings. It'll be interesting to see how people vote Tampa Bay this time around, uh, given the real-life uh, falter against Carolina, or Carolina, Columbus down they too are down zero to three and uh i don't think too many people predicted either team to be in that predicament so um we will um we'll start with um picking the second round matchups and just to give you an overview uh tampa bay was victorious over the islanders by a i believe a margin of 97 percent to three percent well done pittsburgh yeah uh <laughs> yeah, good news for the Islanders in real life. They played the Penguins yeah. in, this, in, in the fake um, setup here. Um, Calgary, this was actually one of the few series that we actually had as in real life. Um, you had picked uh, Colorado against Calgary, mm. and the listeners picked Calgary. Um we had Boston playing Dallas. Boston won that series. We had San Jose playing Columbus. San Jose was victorious. We had Nashville playing Carolina. And they were able to take the victory there. Boo. Pittsburgh versus St. Louis. Pittsburgh um, won with about 77% of Do you the... think there might be a slight bias there in regards to our listenership with that percentage? I do, but yeah. they were playing well heading into the playoffs. This is true. I I I thought um, Winnipeg beat Toronto. Toronto uh, bit off more they, than they could chew picking the the Jets, and uh, so Winnipeg's the seventh seed, and the last seed, the Vegas Golden Knights, in the closest vote. I think it was. Like around fifty-two, forty-eight, oh, somewhere Jesus. around there. Um, Vegas, quote unquote, upsets the Washington Capitals. No repeat for the Capitals. The Golden Knights uh, pull that close victory out. So those are the eight. I get to and pick this first week, this time. I get to pick first you, this time. You, you, you definitely do. So. <laughs> You're 0-3 Tampa Bay Lightning. 
Uh, who, who do they get? My 0-3 Tampa Bay Lightning get the 1-2 and two San Jose Sharks. Yeah. Um, because Martin Jones is absolutely disgraceful. That is legitimately the only reason I would pick pick them. Like, San Jose are awesome. But they, they need somebody who can actually stop a puck. And we rolled with this theory last week on a few of the series. Um, and it's funny when you watch these things live in the series they're currently in, everything that we thought about Tampa Bay is just falling apart on them right now, which does show you the variance in this sport and the mental aspect of this sport. But I would back Tampa... I would back Vasilevsky over... Martin Jones any day of the week and let the rest of the teams wash out and I think Tampa Tampa would win. Yeah, um, I think I think we were both kind of looking at San Jose for the goaltender. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. Um, hmm, Calgary, tough one. Their goaltending hasn't been terrific either. Well, until you get to the playoffs. Have you seen Mike Smith's career playoff numbers? I try not to look Mike Smith up too often. No, I know, but it is ridiculous. Like, you know, I went out of my way to trash Mike Smith and thinking Calgary were nuts. Um, How much of it was all the 11 and 12 run? Uh, because, I don't, I don't know, but he's, conference finals. he's substantially below two, and his save percentage is substantially above 930. So, and then you go out and see what he did in game one, and in game two was a coin flip, and you just sit there and go, well, you know, he could fall apart right now, and his numbers would still look pretty good for his career <laughs> in the playoffs. So you're right, it'll, it'll come down to that one run, but it is interesting when you see those numbers. So, Calgary, I'm in an interesting spot here. Um, I am not touching Vegas. No. I don't, want any, I don't want any bit of the Vegas Golden Knights. You don't uh, want Mark anything Stone to do with Mark Stone? No? No. Um, not at all. Uh, so, my choices. Boston, Nashville, Pittsburgh, Winnipeg. And no Vegas. We're ignoring that other team. <laughs> You know what? I'm going to take Pittsburgh. Yeah, I would too. Didn't think I'd get there, but... Um, and we'll talk a lot about this coming up. <laughs> so I, I, don't, I won't dwell on why I'm picking Pittsburgh to play Calgary here. Let's uh, just say we'll divulge. Right we'll just divulge it later on. Yeah, like... There's a reason they're down 0-3, and I'm not so sure it's the talent on the roster at all times... Um, they just they don't maximize what they have and Calgary is incredibly fast they are struggling with speed right now so I'll leave it at that uh, Calgary is going to play the Pittsburgh Penguins and the other series that I get to pick um, I am going Boston v Winnipeg because hang on a second oh, screw it Boston v Nashville Okay. I just realized I don't have to pick the lower seeds. I can pick Nashville. <laughs> uh, basically, uh, if Boston get through, I, I would I would want to play Nashville. They play a similar-ish. They're not speed, and Boston has more speed than Nashville, and I would take Tuka over 
Pecker. And a lot of people in Nashville would hate me for saying that. <laughs> you know, you, you know what I like uh, about picking them over Winnipeg is that they're uh, Nashville doesn't have as many game breakers. True, they are a very and, deep and, team. And, and the Bruins actually have a game breaking line. Yes, the the issue that Boston have is that they barely have anyone on their defensive six anymore. They're falling down like flies. It doesn't help when they also lose players due to decapitation with sticks. Um, but yeah, Boston just are struggling to stay healthy. They need to get healthy if they're going to get past Toronto in the first round. But we don't have to worry about that in this. Boston are through. I would pick Nashville. Well, that leaves Winnipeg with Vegas. Poor Winnipeg. Conference final rematch. Poor Winnipeg. Yeah. That's a tough one. So... Tampa, San Jose, Calgary, Pittsburgh, Nashville, Boston, and Winnipeg, Vegas. I will, by the time you listen to this, um, or maybe not, <laughs> I will intend on doing the same. <laughs> I will intend on doing the same thing I did. I will tweet out the matchups, and you guys will get to choose who's going to win these. And uh, should be interesting, especially now that some of the real hockey's been played. I think it would be impossible to strip away some of that bias. Well, roughly so, so I think. <laughs> right? So Yeah. But but that's the thing about picking your opponent after the round. You get to see <laughs> what they've done. What's left, yeah. And and we're picking these a little bit early, just because that's our schedule. But if if one of these teams, like what if Mark Stone went out? I might reevaluate. Well, yeah, of course. Well, it's and, like that with any of these teams. It's, that's the, sort of the point I tried to make about Boston. They're, you know, they're dropping like flies. They were never really as healthy as they wanted to be with their with their defensive group, and and they've lost a couple of others. So it's a wait and see who's healthy and pick the team that's least healthy. Yeah, sometimes. Um... The simple answer is the best. <laughs> so I'll have those up. You'll vote, and we will see what the conference finals looks like. Well, we don't really have conferences, but <laughs> we will see what the, the semifinals are. The NHL Frozen Four will be. So, moving on. Penguins are down 0-3 to the New York Islanders, and I did not predict that. Oh, neither did I. I thought the Penguins were the better team, and quite frankly, I'm not totally removed from that. Um, I do think they're being deployed uh, like it's amateur hour. They have been for the last two years. Maximizing the strengths they have. I don't. I don't think the Islanders' roster is better. I I do think they're being allowed to do the things they want to do, and. Um, Pittsburgh has not had a willingness or have been able to try and counter what Barry Trotz wants to do. And this is a problem that, you know, goes back to last season and, quite frankly, even the season before when they beat Washington. Yeah, I, I think it, it's really funny. I remember a few podcasts ago we both agreed that coaching only has so much of an effect in this sport because it is such a organic sport. But I think 
Trotz has Sullivan's number in regards to slowing a fast team down and Sullivan's refusal, which is a little damn biasable like to be honest, Sullivan's refusal to change um, and make any kind of adjustments is um, frustrating to watch as a fan. And secondly, it is really amusing when you see the media say, oh, are the players not buying into your adjustments? I don't think Sullivan's made any. I don't think Sullivan's asked them to change their breakout at all. I don't think he's asked them to do anything differently. It's just not going the way they want, and he hasn't decided to change. It'll just work for us. We'll be right. We've got the better roster. It will just happen. It's like, well, it's not. Game four, it's a bit late to start going, oh, maybe we should change things when you're down 0-3. Yeah, and I think you can look to some Cheryl Rutherford similarities. It's not so much... Like, Dan Bilesma um, deserves the criticism he got towards the end of his of his run. Um, but he also wasn't given great ingredients to work with Correct. towards the end. Um, I think it's a little bit more damning for, for the Cheryl Bilesma one because I, I perceive them to be on the same page most of the time. Like yes, making absolutely. decisions together. Yep. I don't think that's the case with Rutherford and so no. I don't think Jim Rutherford gives a damn about what anybody else thinks. No, I think you're right. And it's and detrimental to what Sullivan can do with roster decisions, but not how they play. And I, um, I think Sullivan is limited with the ingredients, but as I wrote today, he was given the ingredients, but like a child given a bunch of things in a big bowl in front of them, he's just dumping them all in, not really uh, providing much care to how much of this versus how much of that. Um, You know, the Jack Johnson ingredient doesn't have to be put into the bowl. It's your quote you had in your article from Justin Schultz is brilliant to hear that from a player to say, oh, we used to be a fast skating team and, you know, the team's changed a little bit over the last couple of years. Is almost like a player saying, please let me get away from this player. I don't know if that's how he intended it. Well, that's how I read it. Frankly. <laughs> <laughs> but whether or not he did or not, it is raising um, one of the biggest issues that the Penguins have had, and that's not playing with speed, not playing with the skill, not being set up for it anymore. Um, it started with the Ryan Reeves bullshit two years ago, and it hasn't stopped since then. But this is... this is That's the general manager's MO. Yeah, but it's the general manager's MO, isn't it? That's that's how he operates. He's always always built his teams around that. Here here is the actual quote. Our identity has changed over the years. We play fast and get the puck up quick. That's what we do best. We haven't done that this series. Well, you're right. I'd argue you haven't really done it much, you know, generally speaking. And you can look at the back end and, listen, Justin Schultz came over from Edmonton. He was being deployed in a comical way if you were expecting him to actually do well, much (laughs) like everything that's comical in Edmonton. Schultz gets to start on a bottom pairing on 
that 2015-16 Penguins team, which I, I, the best one of the bunch. Absolutely. Including 08-09 in a lot of regards, just with uh, the speed and how they played. And he fit in great. In the next year, they bumped him up a pairing. He, he still played really good. Um, that was when Chris Tang was still in the lineup. That That's a big variable. And since then, they even Trevor Daly, who I don't think was ever really a good player, had his flaws, but they owned his flaws and they just let him go. You're going to skate the puck. You're going to try and pass the puck. You're not going to be very good on defense. And hopefully you generate enough offense that we don't have to really care about it all that much. And for the team they were, that worked. But they don't, they're not doing that anymore. The guys they pick up now can't skate, can't move the puck. Certainly any of them, none of them can do both. No, and that's that's probably the the issue. It's like um, people are wondering why uh, Crosby, Malkin, Kessel are struggling to get speed through the neutral zone. Um, the only person at the moment that can hit a pass is Latang. Schultz is a mess. He has been kind of since he came back from his injury. So you can kind of put an asterisk next to his second half of the year. Marta got one game and then got yanked, and it was a bad game. But if you're going to run that theory, Jack Johnson should not be playing game four and Marta should be back in. If we're going to hold skaters to the same standard, it's pretty much where you sit with that. Um, and, you know, Pedersen is a third-pairing defenseman that is meh, and, and Good Branson is... I don't know what to think about. He's done nothing egregious, but he does no, nothing he, positive the other way, though, either. Like, this is the thing. Like, yeah. He's, he's fine. Yes, in, but... Since he's come over, and he's he's overperformed what some of the metrics that I would think he would not do well in. But he is also stylistically not a complement to play to the strengths of this roster. He's slow. His passing and outlets, he, he does not have an eye for finding these things. He's, he's going to make the pass that's like right in front of him, D to D or wing to, you know, D to wing that's right there. But he's not going to get his feet moving when, when an Islanders team is sitting back and hit a, hit a lane like a quarterback throwing a receiver open he's to not a forward a, in a neutral zone. He's not able to get... He's not able to skate a lane, take a step and a half to his left or his right to change the passing lane for somebody to cut across. And and that's something that quite clearly the Tang is, is brilliant at and something that Brian Dumoulin does quite well also. He manages to... They manage to skate along, then the half a step before they have to actually make the pass, they step left or right hard and then pass it from a different angle than what the four checkers or theoretically the stationary checkers are, in this case in the neutral zone, are, sit at, are sitting, so they can't they can't cut the pass off. And the other three guys on the roster, this includes Marta, don't have that skill. And it's, it is a learned skill, it's a natural talent skill as well. You're not going to get any speed with that third pairing on the ice. And right now, with the way Schultz is playing, you're not going to get any speed with that second pairing on the ice either. So... I think Mata falls into a middle category. Can't the move. The chameleon category. 
<laughs> you know, he is as only good as his partner. And um, he's in this category where, of course, he's not going to move well. Even if you hear somebody write this summer, this has been his best summer, he's never been faster. You do not listen to that report. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, you just don't take it seriously. Um, but what he can do is he is a pretty good passer. He has a track record of doing well in that. And you can pass people open using geometry on the ice through banks or different speeds to kind of leave a puck in a certain area. And out of the non Latang schultz dumoulin bunch, he's the next best option to facilitate the puck to the forwards. The other guys just don't have it. Jack Johnson doesn't do anything well. Uh, he, he gets a good golf score. Yeah. Um, well, minus three, am I right? Minus three since he's been in the lineup, and we hate that stat, but for some people that just uh, can't get off Jack Johnson Island, uh, we got to talk to you in a language that only you can understand. <laughs> and minus three is that language. Yeah. I especially liked when he tried to take a run at Cal Clutterbuck, you know, fleet, very yeah. fast Cal Clutterbuck, and face-planted into the glass as Clutterbuck sideswiped him and passed it right into the slot for a high-danger chance. Um, those are the kind of plays that I really um, – those are great. When Good Branson did that, I can't remember who it was. It was a one-on-one -on -one situation. All Good Branson had to do was just push the guy to the outside and make him go around the net. Instead, he tried to – destroy the guy and it was a one on zero and like Murray made the save I think this was game two and I'm thinking what are you doing like what are you doing it's decision making at times it's like good branch is like oh I haven't had a big hit in a while let's do that to quote unquote create some momentum for my team no no and for a guy who I haven't noticed a lot of mistakes from the um, I think the first goal in game two where he he was kind of defending a, a two-on-one-ish, um, and the puck got through him on the pass, which, you know, that happens. happens. Yeah. But there was a scramble in front, and instead of stopping in front, he went behind the net for some reason. And the where he should have been stopped is exactly where the puck went, and it was a, a open net goal. And, um, you know... For guys that's not going to create offense and job is, um, I think one of them would be clear the crease would fit his job description. You Maybe. can't clear the crease when you go behind the net uh, like that. So that was one of the actual few times over the past few weeks of a glaring good Branson error. And I know they were plentiful in his other stops. So uh, fortunately, the Penguins haven't had too many of those to deal with, but that was um, a big one, I thought. And um, when you want to talk about, well, the Penguins can't score goals, there's a reason, you know, we're dwelling on this um, group of defensemen, and it's because the, the Jim Rutherford has created a, a defense core that does not jive with what the forwards want to do. And they're in the regular season, you get through it because teams don't always – totally change up and game plan for what you're doing. It's kind of on cruise control at times. 
Yeah, but on top of that, though, you've also got some teams are coming, like, you're on the second half of a back-to-back, you're off two days rest. Uh, those things matter with how close, how tight the league is in regards to the, the top-end talent and, and the, the bottom-end talent. So, um, on a, if you're on the second half of a back-to-back and you're playing Edmonton off the, you know, off a three-day rest, pretty good chance Edmonton are really going to push you no matter what you do with your lineups. But when you're playing... You know, game on, game off, game on, game off through the playoffs. Same opponent. And they've got all this time to work out where your flaws are. Then, yeah, you're going to get exposed. And you, you, a good coach tries to use whatever advantage they have and just destroy it. And the Islanders are doing a great job of dumping, forcing the Penguins to turn and chase, knowing full well that the only player out there at the moment that's making an exit pass is Latang. So he's the only person that can get past the two first four checkers on his own and create four on threes and three on twos further up the ice. After that, they're not even worried. No, they shouldn't be. No. So we talk about <laughs> coaching adjustments, and a lot of people just um, yell at the clouds, but they don't really go into much more than that. Like, come on, coach got to make adjustments. Which are? <laughs> exactly. So... Here's here's some of the things I've noticed. The the Islanders are giving the Penguins uh, two two looks for the most part. When when they they either dump the puck in and they think they can get pressure, and that's when they're going to send F one very hard on the Penguin going after the puck. F two is going to cheat and go hard at the partner, the defensive partner, because a lot of times when D men get pressured in the NHL. They um, use their safety valve to their partner, and you know you can kind of relieve that pressure. The Islanders are going all in with this when they use this approach, and this is what's been keeping the Penguins bottled in. It's what's kept some of their zone exits, um, certainly eliminating the controlled variety of them. And then you uh, you go from there after the turnovers caused. Um, what can you do to make the quote-unquote adjustment. When you get back to the puck first, you just rim it around the boards hard. I know that sounds like such a a novice play to make, but you have two Islanders coming strong. You don't have time to screw with the puck. They are going all out into thinking that you're going to mess with the puck and give them time to forecheck. As soon as you rim it around hard, you've alleviated that initial two-forward push, your wingers should be anticipating that it's coming right away. Get to the And boards. that's when your center is going to start talking to that winger because the Islanders have two choices to make now. Keep going with the pressure and have the D-man or F3 pinch. In that situation, center starts yelling middle, 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 and these NHL players are able to get the puck off the wall pretty good. That's what makes them so awesome. <laughs> and you kick it to the middle with with what? With speed. And with a controlled entry. And those centers, some of their names are going to be Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and even Nick Bugstad. So now they are leaving the zone with speed, and you have your other winger coming up. Now, you might not generate a ton of offensive or odd man rushes going the other way at times. It all depends on how aggressive the Islanders are playing it and if you can catch them uh, pinching. Some of these could turn into two-on-ones depending on if you can catch the Islanders sleeping. Uh, but what you know you don't have is two back checkers. They're going to be caught near the goal line. 
And I would, and, I would yeah. bank on Latang and Schultz being able to eight outskate their four checkers because they have to loop around the net, and you know Latang and Schultz are already facing the right way. I'd bank them getting up to the blue line before the the four checkers can come back. So that can be the trailing defenseman that you want to add a player to the rush. Absolutely, because you don't go D to D. The other D, if if can. I wouldn't start cheating right away, but you can start no, no. reading the play after the hard rim and the chip. And if the chip's successful, get your butt up there and join the play late. Now you're cooking with a little bit of fire. Now, when the Islanders don't feel as though they can get this pressure, that's when they're clogging up in the neutral zone. There isn't a lot of pressure. They're waiting for you. They want you to either make a stupid east-to-west pass that gets picked off or they're they're looking to make you do the old Dan Biles must stretch tip into the zone play because that doesn't play into Pittsburgh's strengths. They're not playing their fastest lineup and they aren't controlled entries. So the Islanders aren't as concerned. Yeah, the Islanders win on both those accounts. But how do you beat that? You need mobile defensemen who are willing to skate the puck up to draw people into them. Well, who Half their defense, more than half, four out of the seven are totally unable to do that. And I'm not so sure Dumoulin does it a lot. I think Dumoulin doesn't because he doesn't have to. Letang does 99% of the work. When you when Dumoulin is either separated from Letang or he's got the puck in here, I think he can do it. Short Short answer there. I think he can actually go ahead and do that. But the only way to beat a passive forecheck is to push the issue into areas that they don't want it to. And and a lot of that, unfortunately, falls on having defensemen who are willing to skate the puck up. Yeah. yeah. It's, well, it's just how it's got to be. Because the other option you've got is to allow, through that neutral zone trap, <clears throat> excuse me, is to allow the defenseman to sort of skate into the heart of the neutral zone and then have either Crosby, Malkin or Kessel be at the defensive blue line, skate behind and take a drop pass or a little chip pass past the, like into the soft spots, like into the little dead zones yes. and then, then take the puck with speed that way. That's how you can generate speed through the zone. But they don't seem to have a, a gear shift at the moment, and these players are good enough to do it. I and, and I just don't think they've been encouraged to do anything differently than what they currently are. And, you know, you, you read the quotes from the media, which is all you can go by. The media are making out that the coaching staff asked them to do something different. Does this group look to you like a group that's given the middle finger to the coach? I don't think they're quite there, <laughs> to be honest. I, no, I, think I agree. That they, um, I think they're a group that lacks the necessary speed to counter what the Islanders are trying to do. Now, and, obviously looking at this from a total Pittsburgh perspective at the moment, the Islanders have done a great job of playing to their strengths and have given Robert Leonard a really good chance to get some really good numbers here. And he has made some important saves. 
Yeah, there's been some high danger chances Pittsburgh hasn't finished. Um, the Hornquist one probably bugs me the most, most? out of them. Because <laughs> it's right there, and he just jams it into his pad instead of elevating it. It was a just might have been game one just right on the forehand like that's, that's no excuse gotta, it's no excuse be... for not getting it above the pad yeah, yeah, yeah. um I, on the breakout we were just talking about i hope people don't think that i'm suggesting letang take it and that they skate through the neutral zone no 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 no, no. You, you skate it to the point where somebody's gonna come to you because the alternative is is letting him skate through that's not gonna happen you are manipulating their coverage so someone has to draw to you. Then you make your read to that area to get the speed going the other and way. And the risk with that Latang is that they fox him into thinking that he's got a lane and he tries to blow through it and then he gets swamped and then it's two on one the other way. Like, And that's, that's the risk you run with somebody like Latang. He's... Got a tradition for overplaying himself into a hole, like into a problem. Um, and when he's at his best, he's he's not doing that. He's making the right decision every time. But you're in a game four down, zip three. You kind of have to put the puck on the stick of your best players, cross your fingers that when they do make a mistake, um, the rest of the team, including the goaltender, can bail them out, which Murray did all the way up to the start of the playoffs. Well, and here's the other thing that deserves to be mentioned. The Islanders aren't going to be in that trappy, uh, clogged-down thing if you have a lead. And this the is one true. Pittsburgh got the lead, they gave it away like a minute later or something like that. And Well, they were behind two minutes 20 after it or something as well. Correct. So the Islanders playing with the lead, it's a much different animal. I think if you can get and pop the first goal and keep that track meet open, I, I still like the Penguins' chances of that. Yeah. yeah this yeah, is yeah. assuming they ice the best roster that they have. And right now, as you alluded to, after game one, or you said before the podcast, you know, after game one, they lost a coin flip, and then they panicked. Which, which says to me that the coach doesn't know what to do with the tools he's been given. And once again, it's... You know, throw it all into the bowl and see what flavors I get coming out. It's it, it doesn't you know it's like putting tomato sauce on your breakfast. It's not really going to work, is it? No, it's it's whatever gross thing you want to add to a meal, and you're like, wow, that's there's a lot of that there. Why is why is this always here? That that is the Schultz Johnson pairing. That yeah. that is that is. Of huge problem with huge stacks of evidence and they keep going back to it keep going back to it they just can't see Sullivan cannot help himself with that pairing it makes no sense and I, I want to stress the coin flip he Sullivan talked about well it's a thin line between success and failure in the play yeah yeah it is and you saw that thin line in game one and you chose instead of understanding what you're saying after being down 0-3, you decided to make it a thick line and go to a crappier roster and not understand what your team did well that game. And that was put up 70 five-on-five shot attempts in that game. And 
yes, there was overtime, but it was only like three or four minutes. It wasn't that long. No. But the Penguins that were dominating that overtime, much like they were most of that game. They put up 70 attempts. Very few times this year have they put up 70 attempts. And now they're back below 50 in each of the next two games. So where's the where's the same accountability to the other defensemen that Oli Marta got subjected to in game one? You, you get where I am? Like I know I said it earlier in the podcast, but that, that to me is the whole... If you're a player, all you want is everybody that's at your same level to be held to the same account. Nobody holds Latang to the same account as anybody else. Just like you have the same thing with Malcolm Crosby and Kessel. They're special players. They get special treatment. It's just how it is, right? It's just the reality of sports. Just ask the Steelers. Um, You sit there and look at Johnson, Schultz, Marta, Pedersen, Goodbranson. Why can't Marta get back in the lineup for game four? And he may yet. It's just if he doesn't they, and they Johnson stays, today, so we don't know. I know. But if if Johnson stays and Marta doesn't get back in the lineup, I I can only assume that Rutherford has pictures of Sullivan and says if you do not dress him, I'm exposing you. I just it makes no sense to me. The coach is not putting in a lineup to help him unless he doesn't know what the right lineup is, which is even more terrifying. I think. Well, this I'm going to say about Ali Mata's first game. It was a disgrace, don't get me wrong. The whole game wasn't a disgrace, but there were moments. And they were glaring because the first moment, it was the worst freaking icing of the year that I saw. (laughs) Any team, any scenario, regular season, preseason, playoffs, rookie, veteran, star, plug. He was skating up the ice with nobody on him and just airmailed it from behind the red line when the Penguins were on a very extended shift. And it went for icing. And I let out an audible, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) Because I was blown away. Like, that's within his skill set to do the right thing. He can see the ice. That's a strength of his. If you want to consider, um, you know, the things he does well. Sure, his feet don't move fast, but there was nobody chasing him. His brain normally works pretty well. Unless he's passed out after a, a long shift ceremony. <laughs> no. Well, yes, yeah, yeah, good point. <laughs> this led to the other one where he kind of tried to make a mohawk turn um, with his skates and he didn't really have time to handle the puck and, and get it out. And the turnover um, puck got taken right off his stick down low in the zone. And it led to, you know, a goal. And that wasn't very good. Now, those are very visceral moments where you're like, Jesus, what are you doing? And here's how Jack Johnson continues to, to skate by. Not that he never does make those moments, because I just mentioned one earlier missing Cal Clutterbuck like a moron and then getting the puck centered back his way. But Jack Johnson's the death by a million paper cuts because he does nothing right. He does nothing well. He's a drag on everything on the ice. 
He's below replacement level. So you have a player who fucked up in Mata, yes, for sure. But he does have attributes that could possibly help the forwards out. But Jack Johnson, he's there. He's dulling everything down. He is destroying Justin Schultz right now. And Schultz might have his own issues with the injury and everything, but we can't separate that yet. Because we only have really a one-game sample without it. And you know what? He scored. I think Schultz was on the ice. Well, yes, he Yes, he did. He actually scored a pretty damn big goal there. But I wasn't even going to talk about the goal because, you know, that's that's a one sequence. He caught that puck pure, though. That is not yeah. easy to do with that rolling puck uh, Latang gave him. But he was on the ice for 27 shot attempts. Four. That's the Justin Schultz they need. That's pushing the play against the Islanders. That is making the forwards better. And on this night, Laner played really well, and it didn't work as far as a win. So you bail on that, you fuck Schultz back over, and now you're not up near 70 shot attempts anymore. You're back at 50. You're trading a low number of chances with a team that's less talented than you, and you are not maximizing who you are, what you are, and how you went about being successful in recent memory and it's frustrating the thing that i find funny about uh game three was schultz's decision to pinch where he did was a bad decision right yep you're not going to argue that point but if jack johnson's supposed to be the stabilizing factor in that pairing that pass that he let through can't get through I'm sorry, if you're going to get there and say Jack Johnson's the man to fix those problems, to, to bail Schultz out when he makes a poor decision like that, in a situation of the game where it is, Jack Johnson has to do what he's technically being paid to do, which is stop that pass. Or, at the least, attack the goddamn play with the puck so that Matt Murray at least knows what's going to happen. You at least know the guy's going to pass the puck, right? You could, and Matt Murray's anticipation so far in this place has been pretty fucking good. I'd bank on him making that left-to-right push to make that save. I would trust him to do it. But you slide down the middle of the ice, let the pass through. What's Matt Murray going to do? He's got to understand whether the guy's going to shoot. And you can fake the shot, make the pass at the same time. And then you're hung out to dry. So watching the, watching the game and, and, and hearing bloody... I know who it is. It's Pierre Maguire, and we all want to shoot him in the head. But to hear him say, Schultz hung him out to dry, he's kind of right. But Schultz has to commit to something there and be successful at it. If you stay in the middle and fail, that's worse than attacking the puck and failing. Because you at least know that if you're Murray, you you have to get across from left to right. Yeah, and... I want to be clear. Schultz is the, the goat on that play. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The two-on-one is his fault, and it's not always easy to defend full-blown two-on-ones. And I'm not going to beat up Johnson too too Wait, much on it. I just did. No, you did. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you did. <laughs> you got him. <laughs> but what I am going to say about it is kind of some of the things that you said. Where is your value as a player? Like, you don't make any big offensive plays. Your big moments have to come in those moments. And when are we going to see one of them happen? And they're tough. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. Those moments, if you're giving nothing the other direction, 
they're crucial moments in the game, and they're tough to succeed at. Like they're situations where you're more prone to fail than you are to succeed. There's, I'm not. I'm not denying that aspect of it. I've just not seen him succeed at any of them. That's probably the thing that annoys me. He's not a very successful player. True, and put into a non-successful situation, it's not a good combination, is it? So, I kind of want to steer towards the forwards for a little bit. Go for it. We're going to run out of time. We're not going to get to any other series today. No, no. I didn't think we were. Um, (laughs) What do we got left at the time? We've got 15 minutes. Okay. Good. Enough time to talk about the forwards. Yeah. Sidney Crosby and Gensel are... You know, down. They're not. They're not doing the things that uh, made them they, yeah. great for the whole year. You don't score forty goals on accident. With, you know, especially as a guy that's not always on the number one power play. You don't get a hundred points because you're not good. Um, people concerned about that duo. I'm not. I, that that duo is set in stone for me. I'm not breaking it up. Um, it's a three-game sample. In two of those games, the coaches fuck them all the forwards over with his defense um, choices. Now, what you can do at forward is you can start shifting um, players to try and maximize wh- what you got going here. And right now, I know Jared McCann was, was hurt, and that was an unfortunate injury because he provides um, its kind of a Swiss Army knife. Yeah. It really helps with... Um, balancing the lines but he he did come back for game three he's not imagine healthy he'll look a, imagine he'll look a little better for game four put him back with Gensel and Crosby put Phil back with Malkin and if you got to put Russ there put him there I don't know really where to put Russ right now because I don't really think he's playing all that well he's had an interesting season he's had tiny patches of offensive explosion and the rest of the year's been meh. And he kind of gets away with it because he looks busy on the ice. He's usually a positive possession player. Um, but it's a little bit of the whole, I can't work out how Dominic Simone does not have any assists. <laughs> there's, a little right. bit of that, there's a little bit of that about Rust at the moment. Like, at this particular point in time, at the worst time of the year for the team, um, Brian Rust, who normally manages to rack up a an assist off the arse or something like that. Can't even do that. So, you know, and Dominic you do Simone is... Some, he does have speed. He will yeah. create um, problems uh, on his forecheck, and he, and he usually will skate the puck pretty well through the neutral zone. Like, I'm not looking to bench him, put it that way. No, 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 neither am I. Him off the Crosby line. And put Phil back with Malkin and put him with uh, Rust, who can disturb. And, you know, at least then you got two duos that you know are really good. Jake and Sid, Phil and Gino. The third line, well, what do you know? You had an awesome third line heading into the playoffs. Yeah, so why fuck with it? That's the weird part about all this. They they broke up the lines right before the playoffs and never really had a sample with the new ones. Kessel hadn't played on a third line with Bugstad for a long time. And... Hornquist's I don't know what to say. He's not he's not really in the mood to produce any offense, but he was doing some good defending stuff. So just own own your third line as being like not your classic like 
hitting all the time and in in your own end defending, but like that was a good possession line that played in the other end. So you can use that matchup, especially at home, to shut down who you think is the Islanders' best line to free up the others. With with Hornquist, he it was always a case if he needed to produce five on five to be value for his contract. That was always going to be the biggest concern. This year he did better at his possession numbers, but that was driven from the push to this third line you were just mentioning, where they were defending by possessing the puck, getting shots on net, um, which means they're not having to defend in their own zone. Um, Probably not which, rewarded as much as they should have been. No, and, and that's just that can just be natural yearly variant, shooting percentage variance, and, and that happens. So... If you get there and go, well, you need production out of Hornquist, he's always going to get his minutes on the first power play unit. And everyone says his value is not how many points he scores in the power play. It's, it's how he sets everything up for the players around him. So you, you've got to... Because I've said all year I'd prefer Gensel on that, that first unit because he's, his ability to do something once he retrieves the puck... Because Hornquist's puck retrieval is, is quite good. You, you can't... Can't deny that about what he does on, on that power play along the boards, but Gensel does it in a completely different way, and he's got better hands than Hornquist. And right now, you kind of it feels like this team has to be pushed top heavy to make it possible for them to to get out of this zip three hole and just to get you know the quote unquote next game momentum that they're quite clearly going to have to have. But if that if that third line that you talked about got put together. And they do dominate the play in the offensive zone. Guess who you could pair them with and get them some minutes? That third pairing, or heaven forbid, fucking Jack Johnson still on the ice. So you can protect that. You know what I mean? Like you can shelter your yes. pair that way by because the puck's in the zone. They're not going to burn you at the other end. So yeah, I don't know. this sport's not complicated. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. Um... <laughs> So that was a, and, and they might get rewarded offensively. Well, you have more chance of getting rewarded when it's in the other team's defensive zone than it is in your own. And you need more cracks at the luck. When you go from 70 attempts, that's 70 attempts at a fucking horrible bounce that goes in the Islanders' net. Yeah. You know how this sport works. People listening to this know how this sport works. These goals are not always Picasso's. Uh, no. I mean, but when you drop it to fifty, and that's twenty less, and you're playing a goalie who was nine thirty during the year, and he's feeling good about himself, of course the Islanders will take that. That's that's ridiculous. Now, you speak about it all the time: the fringes of the roster. Well, that fourth line with Garrett Wilson and Aston Reese is not fast enough to do what the Penguins need them to do. And ah, they've scored. They've scored. Yep, they they did, but you know what? It great. Like that's one goal. That <laughs> was like the one goal that. <laughs> that's all you need. You're exactly right. It's it's. But Teddy Bluger <sighs> should not be out of this lineup. He is one of the twelve best forwards, and quite frankly, you watch him penalty kill, and he does that little toe drag thing at the blue line and brings it down to the other end, and he does the uh, go wide under the stick Zetterberg shoot move, and you're like. Oh, penalty killers are allowed to do those things. Yeah. That's pretty good. Um, 
so you might be able to turn a game with the Teddy Bluger penalty killing, something like that. Um, and then, you know, Adam Johnson, I don't know if he's one of the 12 best forwards, but his skill set of speed is very much lacking right now, and I, Garrett Wilson doesn't do anything for me. He's he's one of those guys that played all year, and you're just like, huh, still 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 here. Uh. You know you know what's what's funny when I got to watch Game Two live, and you're watching it, and I'm like, oh, Wilson's on the ice, right? The pass is gone. Hit him. That's what you're there for. Hit the defender, and he hits the glass. Like, doesn't even make contact with the guy on the forecheck. And I'm like, yeah, the puck's gone. It's the playoffs. They let you take that extra step to make the hit. Don't try and tell me they're going to call you for charging after the puck's gone. Because New York don't certainly don't care. They're doing it at the other end. So why the hell isn't he doing it? He's the one guy on the roster that you could get there and say, I couldn't care less if you got a one-game suspension for a charging penalty because he didn't agree to sit there. I hate that garbage. But if you're looking for that guy to make some sort of goddamn impact, it needs to be on the physical side of things. And he's not even being able to provide that. And I know that I'm picking on a guy that, quote-unquote, scored a goal. But you sit there and it's like, you've got to provide more than just that. The, the team is... But they try to say they've got four lines and they don't. If you have a look at that Vegas lineup, all four have- of... Maybe even two with whoever Schultz and Joe Johnson are with. That's not a line anymore. If you have a look at the forwards on the Vegas team, they all play at least 11 minutes a night, and that's including Ryan Reeves. You're not going to get that many minutes as a fourth line in Pittsburgh. You're just not, and nor should they because of what they've, how they've compiled the roster. So you're already shortening your bench, and you can't really hide your... Jack Johnson, well, you you can't hide your Jack Johnson pairing if you're playing them again with Geno and Sid. And that, I think that's how they're trying to hide them, to be honest. I, I saw Jack fucking press box. It's a great spot. No one's going to look for him. Oh, I don't know. Jason Mackey might go and try and interview him. But otherwise... Oh, jeez. Sorry. Yeah, well, you know... You make your bed, you gotta lay in it. Yeah. I um I do I do feel like we're not giving the Islanders enough credit here, but Well, it's a penguin centric podcast and I wanted to focus on the things the Penguins were screwing up, could fix. And um, haven't <laughs> and and have not. Uh, because of course the Islanders Bar- played well and Barzell's been great to watch Eberle's been great to watch as well and as a guy that likes goalies uh, Leonard's been great when he's had to be he hasn't been challenged as much as as a fan of Pittsburgh I would like but when he has been he's been good well here's here's one thing that you know I thought was going to happen heading into the playoffs before I saw the, the lines before game one and Eberle was dormant forever he, like, was, yeah. he didn't have a good year. He's 1.3 something points per 60 during the year. Uh, he's alive and well now. Barzil, you lose to that guy on that play in overtime. Like, I don't have too much of a problem with it. I mean, that's such a great freaking move. I know he didn't score the goal, but he created the whole um, chaos that caused. Uh, it just looked, the skating ability there looked unreal. It was just wonderful. 
And um, but again, that third line you put the, you put the third line up against the the Islander line that's doing a lot of damage, and then it frees up the the other two big dogs to to go do their thing. And do you stats like Jordan Stall light in that sense? Yeah. Like it's 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 not complicated. It also frees you up to to do the whole Dan Bosma two headed monster at the end of periods or after. After TV timeouts, it's just that line gives you the flexibility to maximise uh, situations for your better players to succeed. And I don't think this lineup or, or this coach is uh, utilising what he has in front of him to do that, and that's negligent. I'm glad you did bring that up before we ran out of time because it, I, I did mention that again. Since Sullivan's taken over, the Crosby Malkin even strength time has plummeted, and I had a graph on it. Um, and the graph looks like it plummets before, but then you realize 2010 to 2013, Sid was in a cast <laughs> or wired, his jaw was wired for that entire time period, and that's yeah. the only reason the minutes went down. Um, Bilesma would always, always, always do a very nice job of taking advantage of TV, TV timeouts, commercial time, and end of period time to get, you know, the two-headed monster. I mean, we've all heard Staggy, the two-headed monster. The only bonus is it, I don't have to hear him say that very often now that it but doesn't you know happen, what? but I'd put it up was, with it. It was always welcome in the sense that, all right, Sid and Gino are out there together. Perfect. It's not a power play. Staggy, call it whatever the fuck you want. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I can't wait to see what happens on this shift. They have a three-headed monster now, and they've never done it at even strength. They actually have a third line that pushes... Play. Like they didn't okay, even do it when HBK would. You can put Bugstad out with Gensel and Hornquist next. Just that's disappointing. <laughs> and chances are there isn't going to be a next shift because you could be doing it at the end of a fucking period. Yeah. Why is this so hard? Because I it, think coaches try. You're struggling to score goals. Put some of the best guys out there. In some situations, you can go back to the lines you structured, but have a feel for the timing of the games. Have a feel for offensive zone faceoff. These guys are all fresh. Fuck it. Let's throw our eggs in this basket for this one shift. Quest, quick, quick question, and I say this quickly because I'm going to have to go. As a player, is there any truth to the, to the thought process that if you're not a player that gets regular minutes, you lose the flow of what goes on in this sport? Because often you'll hear coaches say, we like to roll four lines, we like to make sure everybody's in the game, and nobody loses touch with the game. If, if we're doing what we want to do, you're going to have a lot of players in your bottom six missing shifts, which you and I are quite happy with. But as a player, does that get you out of whack? And you'd it know because I've never played. Yeah, it can. Because you feel like you're, you're, the time that you do have, you have to make something happen yeah. you might be overzealous with some of your choices you um, might play it safe to keep earning more chances so to speak yep, yep, uh, yep. There, there there is a windfall from not getting the ice time but we are talking about the nhl and and a lot of this series being down a goal and you know matt cullen's just gonna have to deal sometimes well he's always gonna get his penalty kill minutes it's just that's just the reality of it it's like hornquist if he fell to the fourth line, he's still going to get his time on the power play. It, it just I, I just asked that question purely because 
I'm trying to come up with reasons why this particular coach doesn't make the change to, to do what we were just mentioning. And it's like, well, he was a bottom six forward. Is it something to do with that? But then when I think about that point, Dan Bilesman was a bottom six forward and he did not give a toss. He just did it and did it really well. So I'm just, I'm trying to come up with what the fuck is going on in the brain. You're, you're down 0-3. You better, you could even play great and lose and have your season yeah. done now because you tossed away two, two games. You didn't have to toss away to the trash can the way that they did. If they didn't overreact to the game one, I bet you the series it could even be two one Pittsburgh right now. If they play do that you, game one game again. Do you think the expectation of this is the Islanders we should beat them made them panic? Like, if this was against Washington, which was a series that could very easily have happened, and they went down one nil in that game, I don't think they panic. I legitimately don't think they go, Oh holy crap, the the Earth's crumbling. I, I think they would have just stuck with the lineup, but I, I think the I whole... I say because they were going to put Jack Johnson back in the lineup for the mildest excuse possible. It didn't matter what it was going to be. Yeah. He was never going to be scratched yeah. for a stretch of time. They were looking for one thing to get him back in there. How it's harsh is that on the rest of the players? Like, how harsh is that on Marta Pedersen and, and Good They probably like him in the room, and the, the, as a player, they're they're not really breaking down things quite the same way. They, they're just going out there thinking about what they need to do. Um, yeah, but when you're sitting in the press box, you're thinking about it then. Yeah, Ali Marta's probably not thrilled to be a Penguin right now. <laughs> no, I he could seems to be. That. He's been jerked around uh, the lineup for quite a bit of time now. And you want him around because you want to see him at the at the party at the end. You need him around. <laughs> so, moving um, last last thing, and then uh, we'll go here. Here would be my suggestions: McCann, Crosby, Gensel, Russ, Malkin, Kessel, Simone, Bugstad, Hornquist, Cullen, Bluger, uh, Adam Johnson, Mata Latang. I know I've, I've talked about <coughs> Dumoulin, Schultz, Pedersen, Goodbranson. Yeah, if you want I, to play I, to your strengths, I'm I'm willing to hear some different forward combinations. I am not really too flexible with the the defense ones. I think you need to give Schultz a life raft and allow him to get those shot attempts for when he's on the ice for and him if, and for others. Dumoulin could do that. Mata, if Dumoulin's as good as people try to make out that he is, that's very much within his skill set. Mata's gonna blend in. He's going to be able to make the passes. He's going to be able to make plays because Chris Letang is going to create space for him to do that. And the bottom pairing, you know, it's been serviceable. Yeah, and you can get away with a bottom pairing like that if your top four are doing their job. So, you know, by the next time we talk, the Penguins will probably be done. Uh, it's 0-3. The Islanders uh, in 1975 came back from 0-3 to beat the Penguins. While I'm not predicting the Penguins to come back, I do think there's a path back. If they own who they are and they really sit down tonight and tomorrow and say, you know what, game one really wasn't that bad, let's try that again. Variants might work in a bad way for them where they outplay the Islanders again and lose, but it might not. And that's their best path back. 
they have very talented players to get hot. Um, I don't think it's zero percent. I think it's very low. <laughs> but it but it is zero percent if they they go back to the game two and three well, and um, it remains to be seen if they will. Uh, we'll find out more tomorrow. They didn't have practice today, so. Uh, but if they do go down pretty early, they they got what they deserved. The the GM and coach will have gotten what they deserved because they forgot who they were, why they were successful, and tried to do something else. So. And I can't wait to see the fallout through the media and all of this. It'll be fascinating to watch if they bail out early. Yeah, if they get swept, guess what? Rutherford just signed an extension that hasn't even started yet. What we're going to get to look forward to is the general manager overreacting and making moves he's not even going to be around yeah. to see the consequences of. So not sure that's going to help. <laughs> all right, if we don't get going, I'm never going to get to work. All right. Um, thank you. Uh, vote for the round two matchups. Uh, I'll have those up there. And uh, will we be talking about one of the greatest comebacks of all time? <laughs> we'll start our off-season uh, podcast coverage. Stay tuned. Right. Thanks, yeah. guys. <laughs>